the time that I was at my happiest wasn't when I was in a corner office with all the possessions, uh, sort of all the trappings of what uh, those things that we've been led to believe that'll make you happy. I was the happiest when I had very, very little, when I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. And I was the happiest when I served as a United States Marine. And the reason why those were my happiest days, it wasn't because it was always pleasurable. <laughs> it often wasn't. It wasn't because it was stress-free. It almost never was. It was because I was with a group of men and women that explicitly and implicitly trusted one another. We were united in purpose. We were united in, 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 in tradition. We were united in beliefs. We were very different people. But there was not a time that we ever thought that we could be successful without being successful together. And there was never, ever a doubt that if one of us fell, that the other ones wouldn't pick them up. And that drove more happiness than I've ever experienced any other time in my life because I always knew I had an obligation and I was being policed to that obligation, which was to support my brothers and sisters. And I always knew those brothers and sisters were always going to be there for me as well. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we aspire to have real dialogues, not highly produced and over-edited interviews with the amazing people who are making our world a different place. And we hope to inspire you to design a legendary business and a legendary life. On this episode, we hang out with two of my favorite people, two incredibly smart guys, Christian Onschutz, who's the chief digital officer of UL, the global safety and certification company. He's also a former Marine and entrepreneur and very cool guy. He's the founder of a wonderful nonprofit called Project Relo that connects uh, executives and our veterans together. And in addition, my uh, longtime friend, Bob Evans, which is how I met Christian, joins us. He's a uh, technology industry luminary, and he hosts Cloud Wars Live, which is a great uh, newer podcast that I'm stoked to be a reg regular guest on. What we talk about today is the connection between trust and happiness. This is a fun, insight-packed, free-range conversation. And there's something very interesting going on right now. Uh, you might think of it as the dichotomy of why trust has never mattered more. And yet, um, there's some alarming things about trust, particularly in our major institutions. The Atlantic Magazine says, quote, trust is collapsing in America. And according to PR firm Edelman, who tracks trust, 48% uh, of people say they trust the government and only 47% of the people say they trust the media. This is a great conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. We're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. They want to help you turbocharge the growth of your business and stay on top of your numbers. Uh, go to netsuite.com slash different today. And while you're there, as a listener to this podcast, you'll be able to set up a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. That's netsuite.com slash different. Now, hey-ho, let's go. I just did a, a TEDx talk at Old Miss on the subject of trust or trusting in the age of distrust, right? And the through line of the longer version of this presentation is it never has the relationship between trust and happiness been as clear as it is today as we see the market decline of both. And so, you know, there's a real interesting conversation that I think we could uh, consider having about how do we, how do we think about bringing more trust into our environments, into our, 
uh, individual relationships in our teams and across teams and even in our the organizations and the community and the societies that we're part of. I, I think for the most part, we think of trust as something as you either have it or you don't have it. And I think that's a really big mistake because you can build trust. And there's a number of things you can do to build trust internally. And then, of course, with the people you interact with. And you're going to be better off uh, you know, in life just in general when you do do that. And so you made an interesting comment there, Christian, about trust and happiness. Uh, why are those two things connected for you? Well, that's interesting. So it's not connected for me. It's connected for all of us. It's it's. Uh, so if you look at, uh, there, there's such a body of research and, and it's such a fantastic thing to spend a little bit of time looking at. If you lack, uh, if, if you have insufficient trust in your life, you're going to be uh, negatively impact from sort of a happiness quotient perspective. Now you can find the information, plenty of information that'll talk about this at a societal level, right? The, the happiest com- uh, countries in the world, which we all know who they are, you know, you can put uh, Denmark near the top. I think they have been having that for a number of years. They might've just recently been dethroned, but they also have the highest trust index. They trust their big institutions. They trust their media. They trust their government. And then you, you take like those macro type research pieces and then you take it down to the individuals. And then you start asking people, what is the level of trust that they feel that they have in their individual relationships, in their work environments, et cetera. And then they do the research and they say, how does this correlate with how you feel? And there's a very, very clear, um, I would say it's beyond correlation. It's, it's now causation. When you are in an environment where there's little to no trust, you have a much, much sort of uh, depressed attitude in terms of your happiness. I don't mean depression. I should say reduced happiness. I mean, I guess, I guess it, makes a, it makes sense. You, you, part of being happiness, or part of being happiness, yeah. You know, if you're going to have a podcast, you, you should really learn to fucking talk. Uh, um, but it's true if you are concerned or fearful or unstable uh it's hard to be happy right for a a long period of time if you look at human beings we love routine uh we love long-term relationships um in a work environment you know most of us don't feel comfortable sort of swinging out trying to do legendary shit that pushes the edge unless we feel we're in an environment where we're if i could use this word safe to do that we trust our employer to sort of uh if we fuck something up or go too far to you know to have that be okay is is that the sort of line you're on with this you know it is and you just said something really fascinating and candidly it triggered a thought so the word trust is a vague one, throwing the word happiness, and boy, we're just talking about all sorts of two suitcase words and what exactly do they mean. But let me ask you a question about something you just said. You talked about the word love. Let me, I'm going to ask you two questions. Do you feel that you're happier if you have more love in your life or less love in your life? Which is a better sort of happiness, more likely to lead to a happier state, more love or less love? Well, you know, I'm not that smart, Mr. Anschutz, but it, it, the, the question seems to answer itself, right? I mean... It would seem to me the more love we experience in our life, the happier we are. I mean, we, we human beings want to be loved. And I think it turns out human beings want to give it as much as get it and maybe even more. You know, uh, I, I've heard a lot and read a lot that psychologically, the sort of the psychological rewards we get from 
uh, giving are actually higher than receiving. So, but I don't know, you, you're the smart guy. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not the smart guy. It would, but just think of what you just said. It wasn't a trick question. I think you probably let right. So let me give you the second question. The second question also isn't a trick question. And, and again, I'm just thinking aloud because I'd never thought about this until you were talking. Tell me, name two things that you really love, but that you don't trust. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about cars, right? I mean, uh, you can love an old shitty car that breaks down. <laughs> so you don't necessarily trust the car, but you can love it. Although I don't have a car like that currently in my life, but that popped into my head. So I, uh, and then uh, I have some flaky friends and, and, you know, that I like to do stuff with. So, for example, I have a couple of flaky friends that I love to surf with. And how I know I'm surfing with them is when I'm surfing with them. <laughs> that is to say, we can make an, a, an appointment to meet in the water at 8 a.m. or 1 p.m. or whatever it is. And they may or may not show up. And, uh, you know, so I don't necessarily I can't necessarily trust that they're always going to be there for the surf. But I do love them, even though they're flaky. But I think in general, um, for the most part, if you don't trust it, you don't like it. And in the case, of, if I think about technology, you know, the minute your iPhone starts working weird and you go, oh, fuck, you start hating it. Right. And you're like, I need a new one because this thing, the screen's doing weird shit or whatever, whatever. And so I think in general, if we don't trust it, we we don't love it or our love for it diminishes with maybe a few edge case exceptions. <laughs> well, and, and, and so that's why I asked the question and I said, give me two things, because I thought the first one would probably be easy because finding one exception is typically easy for virtually any question. Finding two exceptions, you start feeling like you're stretching a little bit. If I'd asked three, you probably would have run out because even in your second answer, you know, you got those friends and you know, they're, they're kind of flaky. You know, the question might be, how much do you actually really love them? I mean, if you only like surf with them and it might be, I'm not trying, I don't know your relationship, but you probably really do. Uh, or you know, maybe you do just less than, than others because love is kind of a continuum, right? There's little love and then there's, you know, the way you love Bob, for example, here. But, the, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum. I don't and, know that uh, we want to disclose anything in any sort of forum, though, about that. <laughs> <laughs> She could get weird. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you guys, um, you know, along that spectrum, Christian, uh, the, the most difficult loving relationship I've ever had in my life was challenged by uh, an issue of trust. And um, I continued to love this person, of course, still do. And as, you know, she was in this real hard period in her life, it was impossible for me to trust her, but I had to continue to love her. And that was by far in any fast of my life, the most difficult thing I've ever had to do. And it was, I don't think I ever questioned in my head or in my heart that I didn't love her the way I always had. In fact, I think in some ways, the worse it got, the more I loved her because it was so desperate and that sense of potential loss was so excruciating. But there was this thing, and it, there was a line, um, I think from the Romans, right, Christian? You and I talked about this once, I think, right? Was somebody said that, the Romans said that courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without it, you cannot have the others. 
and on some other parallel line there, trust is sort of that human quality without which it, it, it's really hard to get into those other things. So um, I, that, that nexus that you're describing is profound. Somewhere yeah, I think if I, if I work really hard, and again, this is just a, uh, this thought was uh, uh, brought to the forefront by Chris, your comments that if I were to try and answer it, I, I could probably find a couple examples where I uh, really love something or someone and uh, not necessarily trust it. And yet I think um, there's a real sort of a transitive logic that says, you know, the more likely you are, the, the more you love the thing, the more you probably trust that thing in some context. And, and this is kind of an important point too. Trust is both, the, it's, a, it's a, a combination of two things. It's character and a competence, right? So, like, I can love you guys. You guys are, are, are both freaking awesome. And yet, uh, Bob, I, I got to tell you, I'm not going to trust you to do brain surgery on me, right? So, I, 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 trust isn't absolute He's in every single situation awesome in every YouTube single videos content. lately, though, Christian. <laughs> He's seen some really awesome YouTube videos on that. <laughs> and he has a steady hand. Yep. <laughs> Good with a sawzall. <laughs> yeah, that's what the sawzall. <laughs> well, just to get us started, to get yeah. it. <laughs> I think there's a movie for that. It's it's uh, I don't know Nightmare on Elm Street or something like that. He, Liam Neeson. He's the leader yeah. in a new st style of old school surgery he's bringing back. And his slogan is "Let's make surgery great again." Where you know you just had one or two you know uh, tools and you didn't use any anesthesia. <laughs> Yeah, because we'll go quick with the power tools. You know, it's, it's going to hurt a lot, but for not much time. Yeah, not long at all, actually. <laughs> this is a side note, but yes. <laughs> but here, here we go. Uh, you know, I originally, of course, grew up in Montreal, Canada. And um, there's this fairy tale that uh, parents tell their children to get them to be good. And they say, you, you better be good or Banam Setar is going to come get you. And it Banam Setar sort of translates into like, um, uh, Banam is like a big character, like uh, the, 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 the icon of the carnival in Quebec City is called um, uh, Banam Carnaval. So, you know, like a big Michelin manny looking kind of a toy character. And Setar is seven, seven o'clock, right? So anyway... It turns out that where this, this fable that parents use to scare their kids to be good by threatening them with bonhomme setter, it goes all the way back to uh, the dawning of the day in Canada when there was a job for uh, soldiers and typically farm workers called bone setter. And the bone setter would start walking around towards the end of the afternoon and the early evening because you you know you knocked your knee out on the farm and the the bone setter had to come and reset your knee and of course there was a lot of screaming and yelling and horror that went with it right and so um all the little kids knew back then was when the bone setter showed up something terrible was going to happen and somewhere between french and english we went from bone setter to bonhomme setter but i digress <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let me ask a question. So, Chris, when we, we had the um, conversation, Bob and I were having the conversation, I, w I thought of you for a number of different reasons when this topic of uh, trust in the modern world, and the modern age, because of your background 
as a, as a marketing uh, leader and genius. And then of course this whole, um, you know, there's what you talk about in terms of, you know, being legendary and not being afraid to be a loser, because what you talk about so clearly is creating new businesses and new markets in those businesses. And behind that, I have to believe that you're, you're, you suggest or you believe that whatever it is that you are you're building that business that you're, you're, you're fundamentally differentiating on, there's a promise there. There's a brand promise that says, uh, it's a new market. I'm going to do this in a new way you never thought about it. And your ability to keep that promise is critical because if you fail to keep that promise, you erode trust and then you become like so many others and then you're kind of lost. So what are your thoughts on the importance of trust in terms of a brand and its promise and what are the costs of, of maybe violating that? So I think whether it's on a cor corporate level or a personal level, um, who we are in a large part is the promises or commitments that we make and whether or not we keep those promises or commitment. It, it, it's seminal in defining who we are, right? So the three of a, a simple example, the three of us make a, a, an appointment to get together and have this conversation. I'm going to assume that all three of us didn't think very much about whether or not each of us would be on time and whether or not we'd be ready to go and, and so forth and so on because we have enough of a relationship um, that we all trust that when, you know, by way of example, Christian Anschutz says, I'm going to be there at three o'clock, he's going to be there at three o'clock. I mean, unless something really strange happens because that's who you are. And so I think, you know, at a fundamental level, that's what a business is too. You know, when we buy a car or when we get a, a coffee or whatever it is, there's a set of if you will, commitments or promises around that, around the quality of the product itself and the experience you're going to have. And if you have a problem, how it's going to get professionally remedied or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the things that keep us coming back. And the weird thing is, I think we live at a time and you'll tell me because you're the, you're the smart one doing the thinking on this, where a lot of major institutions have broken a lot of major promises yeah. and there's a real takedown of trust. On the flip side, you know, my friend Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder of this awesome business that I'm stoked to be associated with called Crash. They're an alternative for young people to going to, to college. They call it a career launch service. Um, but he has this whole point of view around be your own credential that today, particularly because of technology, we can establish ourselves in the world um, and, and sort of be our own credential and have what uh, many people call social cred around us where we're an expert. You know, so in my world, by way of example, um, as a, a backyard chickener, um, one of the people I go to for chicken advice is this gal on Facebook called the Chicken Chick. She's not a vet. I don't even know her real name. I don't know where she lives. She's in the United States somewhere, but she's broadcasting Facebook lives and posting all this shit. And she's an expert on chicken stuff. And so if I have a simple question that I don't want to bug my vet with, I'll ask the chicken chick and she'll fucking respond. And I don't even know what, if any training she's got. And, and but I trust her because she's digitally, you know, out there sort of leading the charge for people who love their chickens. And so it's an interesting time we live in where major institutions and government institutions, I'll pick on one, Wells Fargo, uh, Volkswagen, you know, are found out to be 
absolute douchebag companies um, and, and a road trust and people who we don't even know their name, but all of a sudden the chicken chick builds trust by establishing herself as an expert and being responsive and, and so forth. And so I, I would trust her advice on, you know, what food to buy or whatever the case may be. So it's a fascinating time that we live in where trust is being eroded and trust is being created and both seem to be happening, at least as a casual observer, um, with rocket speed today. Very interesting. Guys, I had uh, something on, you know, not such a, a sophisticated plane, uh, but I just wanted to mention this. Um, <clears throat> it was a couple days ago, um, you know, I, I've had this one company for a couple of years and I, I've started a second company recently and they finally got, you know, through the registration with the state of Pennsylvania. So I was able to go open up a, an account for it at the bank. I had the EIN. So I went in there, there was a very nice woman and I've done banking at this place for 20 years. I have tons of accounts with them, all sorts of things. And she couldn't have been nicer. And we got to a certain point and said, okay, now uh, would you like a credit card? I said, yeah, but I always have had some difficulty with the policies you have here. And she said, Oh no, it's real easy. And she asked me a couple of questions, filled some out. She said, okay, well based on this, we should let you know within six to 12 months, uh, if you qualify for this credit card. And I said, no, no, you mean like six to 12 hours? And she said, no, it'll be six to 12 months. And I said, well, we just had a, how can this be? You know, I'm, this isn't the first time I've ever done business with the bank back and forth. And she was trapped between her own desire to help try to do the right thing and the sort of crushing weight of the institution that was on her. Because in a way, she was, I think, getting what I was saying, but as a representative of this big corporation, she was also trying to tell me that six or 12 months isn't unreasonable because, see, we don't know if you're going to get the revenue that said would. And if you don't, then how do we know you're going to pay the charges on the card? And so, well, I think over 20, so it was just such a strange thing. And I felt like I had almost out of my body looking at these two people talking about something. I said, this is like a video that should be shown. Like if you're a company and you want to lose trust with people, have this conversation. This is how you ruin your reputation and ultimately ruin your business. So I wasn't offended. I wasn't hurt, but I also walked out of there and there was no doubt. I said, I, you know, I just have to make the time, go to a different financial institution and do business with them because how, you know, I, it's, it's just absurd on some different levels. So we as individuals too, I think these uh, eternal notions, Christian, you've talked about of trust and happiness and love and these sorts of things. What's happening now with the chicken chick and other stuff as they rise in these other companies, and I don't think they're doing it for nefarious reasons. It's just a failure of internal leadership and model setting and recognition that uh, it's a different world now. And, um, Somebody could say, well, we're rolling out new training programs and we think by 2022, we'll have hit all of our branches. And then, so you just sit tight for a couple of years. It's, they just have no clue. I mean, th this is, uh, I don't know how companies overcome something like this. No matter how much the employee wanted to help build trust, the company had her hands tied. And I used that term with her. Uh, and in a follow-up message, I got one of those surveys. How satisfied were you with this? I'm zero, 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 we're zero, not. zero. 
it, it's and it was so jarring. So how can it be, guys? That I think we all have a fairly decent brain, but you know we're maybe not the only ones with that. Chris, I'm going to ask you because Chris and I talked about this <clears throat> just a, a few days ago. I said, how do companies fail to see this? And then when they see it, how do they fail to act on it? Because it's not a matter of doing stuff a little better, being a little more efficient. This is survival or death. You know, it's, it's such a good question. And I think we, uh, I mean, it's funny how these subjects go from one like big topic to the next, you know, that so much of these policies and these processes are, they're necessary um, to support these institutions that are made of tens of thousands of people, certainly many thousands of people, but sometimes tens and in the hundreds of thousands of people. And if, it, if the employee base isn't that big, it could be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, of, even in the millions uh, of customers. If you're a large platform company, it could be in the billions. There's a couple of those, right? And so they, um, you know, internally, companies will make uh, management decisions and they'll do leadership through policy. And what you see also happening is externally, you see uh, companies trying to lead in the new markets, and they do this often by setting policies. Uh, this makes perfect sense. I mean, there's, there's so many good companies that do such a great job there. However, the policies don't scale well because everything becomes a square peg or a round hole, and then you got this, this, this very nice lady trying to figure out how to tell the square peg that you're, you know, you're stuck in a round hole world. And... Um, and so I'm going to take a sharp left here and, and, uh, uh, and I'll say uh, nothing makes me appreciate uh, human intelligence more than artificial intelligence. <laughs> Yet artificial intelligence in this case the, had the ability to really, as a customer, really understand your profile and combine your history, your accounts, everything that they could find on you from regarding sentiment and whatnot could contextualize their response to you so that it was much more appropriate without sacrificing and creating risk for that company, thereby enabling that woman to serve you a lot better, providing that, that, that bridge between sort of your reality and the necessary protections that the company needs, because that's why those policies and rules exist. They, they exist to protect the company and its ability to recoup whatever it would lend you, in this case, through a credit card. If you had something that made it easier for that staff to, you know, to, to contextualize it for Bob Evans, then, then that company would be far, far better off. And I'm, I'm hoping companies start getting uh, to the point where they start using these new and emerging technologies to really provide context that leads to a deeper, more meaningful personalization. I mean, personalization right now is so superficial. It's like, oh, when I log in, it knows the last things I bought. I mean, you know, whoop-de-doo. I mean, that's so, <laughs> welcome to the 90s, right? I mean, okay, 2000 or whatever. Um, but really personalizing for that interaction with you, which by the way, was with a person. And so that I I think that a human uh, machine combination could have made a a Bob Evans, a much happier uh, customer who would have left all five stars out of five and, uh, and and preserved that business. And it would have uh, protected the company simultaneously. Yeah. Here's the thing that sort of boggles my mind is sort of, if you will, the dichotomy of trust, you know, um, and, and Bob, you used the word reputation earlier, and it, that's a word I think is a very powerful word, and it stands to me in stark contrast to this other phrase today that I've grown to fucking hate, which is personal branding, because for the <laughs> most part, what personal branding is, is this bullshit act that you put on 
that, you know, to try to make people believe something about you, you want them to believe. And I think that's contrived and bullshit. And I think a reputation is something that is earned over time by producing legendary results and having people say that about you. And so I think you should work on your reputation as a result of doing legendary work as opposed to your contrived personal bullshit brand. And then when you have a reputation, it counts for something. And so this I'm leading somewhere, which is I think a reputation is arguably one of the most val valuable things you can have in life, in your career. Uh, and, and all three of us have experienced that personally as well as with others. However, here's the part that boggles my mind. While we were talking, I just Googled uh, Chipotle stock price. And these fuckers are at an all, near an all-time high. The market cap of the place is $19.5 billion. Now, I don't know about you, but and I didn't eat there very much, but a handful of times, there's not a snowball's chance in hell I'm eating at that fucking place ever again. Because last time I checked, they're in the news a lot over... Um, over people getting sick. The other companies that I, I, I don't understand is I'd hate to be the CMO of one of these cruise lines because like they're in the news all the time for trying to kill people. People getting sick with flus or, you know, storms or this this one <laughs> not that long ago where they had to airlift 500 fucking people off the thing or whatever. Anyway, so what's my point? I don't understand how a company, how trust can be so important and yet a company like Chipotle, their stock is in at zero. It's a very strange dichotomy in my mind. Do you guys have any idea why that's true? Why anybody trusts Chipotle to put food in their body? You know, I, uh, I, Bob, I, I really want to hear your thoughts. I'll, I'll leap in here first, if that's all right. So first off, I, I love what you were talking about, Chris, because you start talking about reputation. And reputation is uh, sort of the sum total of how you're uh, expected to uh, behave based on the character that you portray, right? So, and if, if you violate that, then your reputation goes down. And so those two things mean that you, you know, think about it, your reputation is how much I trust you essentially. So again, we're going kind of full circle. So reputation and trust go hand in hand. Trust is simply good for business, especially when you're trying to build a reputation for, you know, keeping your promise or whatever your brand promises or whatever it is that you, you know, you're supposed to uphold or, or, or deliver against. But we all fail. We're all humans and we make mistakes. And let's say uh, you were talking about the three of us being on the, um, on the call and on time and all that. And, and, uh, and he suddenly something weird happened. Now let's just say I forgot, you know, Christian, sometimes Christian does do some dumb things and that's, that's one of them. Right. And, and I forgot. Um, if I came back and I said, Hey, I made a mistake. Okay. And I'm, I'm sorry. And I uh, explain what happened. The, the, the combination of sort of uh, earnestness, uh, transparency, and uh, uh, I, I would say a uh, you know, sort of, you know, just kind of my failure I explain and I, and I explain it forthright. You, I won't take a reputation hit. In fact, I can take a little bit of a boost because nobody like you know. It's very uh, appealing to us to hear someone say, "I made a mistake," and God, I made him. You know, please forgive me. We have a tendency to want to do that. Now, if if this company you're talking about has done it time and time again, and it just keeps happening, and it's it's it's, it's systemic, then I, I'm not sure uh, how 
uh, they maintain a high stock price, and this is an example that you're giving. It's However, if they are the uh, being very transparent and saying, look, it's, our, it's, it's because of the product that we deliver. It's highly organic, and the nature of the organic foods require you know, this, that, or the other thing. Uh, by the way, I have no knowledge of this, so I'm making this up. And there's, there's a transparency between the, the promise, which is organic, and the risk, which is there's a chance that this could happen more because maybe there are pesticides used, um, then maybe that's that's why people can get over it. But it's how you handle your screw-ups. And we've seen some epic ones, uh, you know, where people have uh, made huge screw-ups and they've completely wrecked their brand. Uh, the business brand, you use one company and, and, you know, we can use a personal brand. Like, look at what happened with uh, Tiger Woods. Um, you know, I, I'm not making a judgment. I just know that his uh, personal brand took a hit because of the way he handled his uh, you know, his mistakes. Well, actually, and that, that's an interesting case study for me because um, I think his big problem was less what he did and more that he was personal branding himself one way when in point of fact, he was completely another way. So in, in other words, exactly. Exactly. Charlie Sheen never said he was Mother Teresa. And so when he went completely mental and had all the stuff going on and all of that, everybody was like, well, yeah, he's Charlie Sheen. Or, you know, when Hunter S. Thompson showed up somewhere drunk and stoned and late and incoherent, they were like, well, you hired Hunter S. Thompson, right? Or when Dennis Rodman tried to marry himself in Times Square or wherever the fuck he was, you're like, okay, well, there he is in a dress. He's Dennis Rodman. Uh, it, by the way, he stood me up as a guest on my podcast, right? It's like, well, I, 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 did, I, I thought maybe we had a 50-50 shot, so go <laughs> fuck yourself, Dennis. But not necessarily a surprise, whereas on the other hand, it would have been a surprise if Bill Walton had stood me up, right? So, so I think the interesting thing about that is if Tiger had always been truthful, that like, hey, I'm a dirty dog. I like to have sex with a whole lot of super hot models and I like to generally drink and behave badly and he'd gotten all tatted up and stuff. People would have probably just thought, oh, isn't he cute? He's like Charlie Sheen. He just gets away with all this stuff. So I think I think a lot of it is 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 the disconnect between who you are for real and who you pretend to be from a, you know, let's call it branding perspective. And that schism, in effect, is the breaking of promise. And then we don't trust. And then here we go. And, and Bob, I didn't mean to jump in there, but uh, yeah, your, your, thoughts, your thoughts, please. <laughs> well, I think what you guys have been saying, right, I've, I've always thought of reputation as what you do and what you have done. And this, Chris, you know, your point of personal branding is what you say. And, uh, right, I, I, you know, we, at some point, if there's enough trust, people listen to what you say and, and how you conduct it how does that align with what this person has done over time? So I, I agree with what you guys say, but Chris, you know, that uh, the person you're working with, uh, was it Rushmore with the crash program? Right. And he was, what was the word used there? Credentials. Yeah. He, he his, his philosophy, his name's Isaac Morehouse. Morehouse. And, um, Isaac has this point of view where he says, you know, historically you went to university to get a credential, Right. And per, per the joking earlier around Bob doing the brain surgery, there are certain things where being credentialed is really critical. That's probably right way high up on the old list. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, serving in the military, 
Um, there's a whole set of training and you know, we're not just going to make anybody a Marine because they say, I want to be a Marine, right? There's shit you got to go through and you have to become credentialed to call yourself one or to achieve a certain rank or whatever. And so, look, I'm not stupid. Indeed. There's a lot of our world where being credentialed is exactly what is required. That said, Isaac has this point of view where today more than ever, we can be our own credential. That is to say, you can educate yourself, you can apply yourself in a certain area, and you can develop your reputation both digitally and in the real world as somebody who is an expert in this field, somebody who can be trusted for their advice, for their knowledge, for their experience, for their ability to continuously produce results, etc. And so his, his whole thing is, look, you don't necessarily need to go to Harvard to have you're borrowing their brand to credential yourself you could you could establish yourself as an expert and be your own credential without the harvard stamp of approval more easily today than ever i think if i you know can represent his point of view i think that's what he's trying to communicate and i think that's a very interesting idea i trust the chicken chick even though i know she's not a vet yeah, and Chris, I think that gets to uh, you know point that I was inarticulately trying to make a minute ago, which is uh, reputation is the body of work that you have done, not what you said you're going to do, but what you have achieved, what you've done, what you've committed to. To go back to your word, committed, delivered, consistently, uh, and in line with what the promise had been. Credential lines up with that as well, because right, because uh, and then I, I think that's interesting because you get the credential, not because you got a sheepskin, but because you did something, you achieved something, you put it down there and it's real and it works. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why, and just to, you know, as a civilian talking a little bit about the military, uh, th this notion of stolen valor, people saying something that wasn't, I think that's one of the reasons why so many Americans take that so seriously and why it's regarded as you know you will forgive a lot of things that is to a lot of the people i know that's about the most unforgivable because it touches on something that is i think in some ways sacred right it's these people have not just gone out and said like oh well i i was a starter on my high school basketball team no you aren't you sat in the end of the bench never played okay that was a lie but this stolen valor thing is something that takes, you know, among the most noble, the most, the deepest, biggest, most giving type of sacrifice. And somebody tries to touch in on that. So guys there, I think, especially in the military, uh, police officers, some of these other things that people have committed to people who really do work with young people, not, say they do or go and you know uh one weekend a year and want to get some glory out of it and that that's a lesson that I, i'm not I, i'm very optimistic about young people today but there's a shallowness that comes through all this stuff that's on video and young people with their heads so much on their phones and this and that and i think it's harder for young people in today's world to get a real sense of what is achievement what is something you've earned that you deserve to have a credential for and that helps build a positive mm -hmm. reputation versus this phony thing i got x many people following me on twitter facebook or somewhere else over here so i'm not excusing some of this silliness that comes in around personal branding but it's a tough time i think to be uh you know an 18 19 year old and chris uh 
guest you had on recently. I'm really looking forward to hearing it, Andre Iguodala. Um, I heard a great story about him the other day. There's a rookie on the, the Warriors. Uh, it was named Jordan Hall. Jordan War- uh, But anyway, he recently got suspended by the team because on a road trip, he, he went somewhere in the hotel or the restaurant and he charged something to one of the assistant coaches' rooms or accounts. Okay, it's sort of a youthful, silly indiscretion. Then on one of these things, like a day off, it was a voluntary workout. Well, he didn't go. And it's for, you know, the three or four big stars and the older guys on the team. So Andre Guadalla cuts his guy and said, listen, knucklehead, three or four people have an exception. You are not one of them. You know, don't ever do this again. So uh, I think back of a lot of the really, really, really dumb things I did when I was young. And uh, I think it is hard today. I think it's hard. Maybe it comes into some of this stuff that I think about what businesses can teach people, what achievement can teach people, what entrepreneurship can teach people, and what some adult who's willing to push back. And instead of just saying to the kid, well, I want to be your friend, so I'm not going to bust your ass for this and that. And I, I, I think that adults who've earned a good reputation are the ones who are also willing to take some hard lines on people and say, look, in the modern world, sure, it might be a little tougher. That's not an excuse for being a jerk. That's not an excuse for being a liar or a slacker or anything else. Those are universal standards. And somewhere in there, I think that that sense, again, of trust, uh, reputation and what you have done versus what you have said becomes, you know, more important than it's ever been. Is it wrong for one man to love another man? Uh, uh, well, Chris talked, Christian talked about the spectrum. Remember the spectrum. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> hallelujah. You know, the thing that drives me crazy is everyone today wants to be an influencer. Fucking a, and you ever notice everybody on Instagram other than the three of us is a, quote, public figure. Go fuck yourself, you public figures. Like, and, and the bummer is this is what people aspire to, you know, and I think whether it's whether it's the Kardashians sort of broadly socially, you know, they, they have, they've created a world where people just want to be fucking famous for fucking being famous. Right. Or having a nice posterior, or whatever. Like it, it just—they're—they're—they're they're, they're nothing, right? They're absolutely nothing. And then on the business side, you know, the, these entrepreneurial porn stars make me insane for this reason: the Grant Cardones and Ty Lopez's and Gary V's, and there's a whole bunch of these guys, and they just spout off this stupid, pablomatic crap: hustle, hustle, hustle. All this stupid advice that that if you spent five seconds thinking about it, you go, that's fucking dumb advice. <laughs> but, but worse than that, what all these people are doing is they're painting this picture that says, don't you want to be me? Don't you wish you were just famous and you could spew out bullshit on Instagram and, and make millions of dollars as opposed to, you know, think about who our heroes are, whether they're, 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 uh, you know, uh, war heroes or whether they're business heroes or athletic heroes. You mentioned Andre Iguodala. Listen, I spent time with that guy. There's a reason that guy was the MVP of the finals uh, in the NBA. There's a reason for that. You know, we just had Carrie Walsh Jennings on the podcast. She's a five-time Olympian, and she's getting ready to go back for the sixth, and she's won three gold medals and one bronze medal. There's a reason. She's not just a fucking influencer. 
<laughs> I love this. You know what I love about this conversation? Man, this has been all over the place. And we just keep taking it farther and farther, you know, this direction or whatever. Hey, I, I, so I'm going to continue this. Um, hey, you know that, uh, that old saying, you know, keeping up with the Joneses? You remember that? So when we were kids, remember, you'd keep up with the Joneses and, and you would look out there in the world and you would see, who do I want to keep up with? And the sphere in our day was pretty small. It was the block you lived on. And the Joneses you typically wanted to keep up with were the person that had the, I don't know, the screened-in sun porch or, the, or the, the VCR that didn't happen to blink 12 all the time. I mean, the, the bar was pretty small because in my world, uh, of how we could uh, consistently group as humans, afford, right? In my world, if you could consistently afford to put hot dogs in the macaroni and cheese, I wanted to keep up with you. <laughs> the, okay. Actually, yeah. you may be joking, yeah. but you may not be because it was the bar's... Right, exactly. Because we let's say we all lived on the same street. Because of the nature of how we were, the cost of the houses and the demographics, you, you were usually with a group that was pretty similar to you. And so the variation was smaller. And so the Joneses you would keep up with were aspirationally the, the gap. You'd be like, I just want more hot dogs in my macaroni and cheese. I just want a, a two-car garage that's attached. You know, whatever it was, it was, it was small. But now what's happened in the world today and it's, it's social media. Now, my, my view of the world isn't my block. It's, it's in my entire society, and it might be a global society. And now I'm trying to keep, you up, keep up with, like you, using your example, I'm trying to keep up with the Kardashians. So where before it was just have, you know, as you said, hot dogs and your macaroni and cheese. Now it's have X millions of dollars, this kind of, uh, have my own TV show, this, that, or the other thing. And more than anything, this combination of, you know, you, you can blame social media, you can blame any number of different things. I think there's a lot, it's, it's complicated, but this whole sort of basic human behavior of trying to, and, and this is built into us, right? To aspire to that next level, this theory of, of, of escalation. And at the same time, well, that exists in the technology broadening our scope of what we can escalate to is what's making us absolutely insane. And it makes us do things that are just really inconsistent. Like I don't have to have substance, but I'm going to be like them and I'm going to be an influencer. I don't have to have substance. I just have to be an influencer. And so, you know, you have a, a world now filled with people that are just shucksters. They just, they just, you know, they just can say, do whatever and they influence, but they have no substance. Do you remember, um, Christian, do you remember Tom Vu? Yeah. He, he was the, I, I, I don't know if he was the first, but he was the first I really remember to have infomercials at scale. Do you remember this guy? The yeah, real yeah, estate yeah. guy, right? I yeah, come yeah. to America with $1 and now I don't know which Rolls Royce to drive, that guy, right? Who yeah, ended yeah. up in jail for tax evasion, right? But <laughs> it's like everybody today is fucking their own Tom Vu. They're their own shyster and they rent a bunch of bent, Bentleys and get some gals in bikinis with high heel shoes and they just, they, they shoot these asinine videos and like, and all, <laughs> you know, this Instagram light, it's just, it's fucking insanity. And that's okay, it's everybody's got a sham wow or a slap chop, right? That's what we're talking about now. Well, but their sham so. wow is themselves. That's the, <laughs> that's the even worse part. It's just like, hey, selfie, selfie. Look at me. Look at me. Look, look what I'm doing now. Guess what I had for lunch? Ha ha. Fuck your lunch. <laughs> why? Did so we if we take this full circle again and we talk about why trust is degrading, we know this. And, and you know what? Other people know this too. You don't know what you can trust. You don't know. you Look, the government... The, the media are at all-time lows from a trust perspective. Big institutions are taking a hit, but 
what we don't understand in this modern world that we're living in, because of the stuff that you're talking about, that you gentlemen are highlighting here, actually our trust in our fellow you know, citizen, our fellow man or fellow woman is actually going down too. And this is coming at a time where, wow, it's really weird. Uh, what is that? Uh, you know, the United States alone consumes like 75% of the antidepressants of the whole world, right? I mean, we're not exactly a happy society. And I just wonder if there's any kind of correlation between the fact that we, most of what we see, we don't even know if we can trust it. And oh, by the way, um, you know, let me pop a pill because, you know, I I feel like crap. Well, you talked about trust and happiness. If you talk to happiness experts, and I do on a pretty regular basis now, um, one of the things that gets very clear when you look at the research is happiness is a function of relationships, right? There's no such thing as a lonely centenarian for the most part, right? The happiest people in the world live the longest and have the best, li- the best lives because they matter to others and others matter to them in a profound way, whether that's lots of people or a few people, whatever, you know? So, so, so the, the, the relationship part of this, I think um, is a huge part of it, right? I trust you. We have a relationship. I can count on you. Uh, you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And then that, the more you do that with me and the more I do that with you, there's this awesome, tastic, virtuous circle that happens, right. right? And so if we're, you know, Bob and I have been friends for way longer than either of us want to admit, but I know there's a set of things I can, I can count on him for. I just know there because there's this virtuous circle that's been going on for, you know, decades. Chris, somewhere in here, right. And Kristen, you know, your the, the, the things you've talked about in your TEDx talk, uh, right. These things of, you know, people understanding ourselves. So all the sort of horrendous and ugly, um, bad examples of that that each of you guys have just talked about from people mistaking uh, I don't know what are the drivers of happiness in their lives and they're chasing these things that they think will make them happy but don't and they're so shallow and they're so empty so I, I want to share uh, I, I hope you guys liked I, I think this is one of my favorite stories ever so one of my cousins a few years older than I am but he just a fantastic guy and uh he worked for many years at J.P. Morgan Chase, and he was getting ready. He was going to retire pretty early. He'd done very well, very high up in the organization, and a new boss came in over him. And this new boss was setting up meetings with everybody who worked for him. So he had set up this meeting with my cousin Tom. Tommy goes in, and the guy says, "Ah, oh, well, hey, we just wanted to get to know you. He said, what are your goals? And Tom said, my goal is to go to heaven. And the guy looked at him and he said, I, I don't think you understood my question. Tom said, no, I understood it perfectly. He said, my goal is to go to heaven. And the guy looked at him and he said, well, oh, well, uh, I, I'd rather talk about you and your business. And Tom said, oh, great. Happy to talk about that. But <laughs> I just loved that because, um, you know, uh, Tom wasn't afraid to say it. Uh, he also, I don't think he was trying to be a smart ass with this guy, but he was drawing this line that says, look, I, you know, I can, jobs are temporary. Jobs are fleeting. Careers are fleeting. This company's fleeting. You know, my, my role here is fleeting. You know, my other thing, this personal life that I take very seriously isn't. So again, guys, I'm not trying to go all, you know, fairy tale and, and this and that, but 
somewhere, I think a common thread that comes together on a lot of this stuff that we're all talking about is something that's authentic uh, in our lives. I was so fortunate in uh, growing up, um, you know, to have had the, the parents, the siblings, friends I did. And sure, there was all this stuff trying to keep up with the difference, but it was like hot dogs in the baked beans or, you know, oh, so-and-so got a new net on their outdoor basketball hoop. And geez, that was after <laughs> three years. Ours has been up here for four. You know, maybe it's time to, to spring for a new one. Um, so I, I think the unhappiness, the, the antidepressants and the, those things we talked about, uh, I think it comes back to, Chris, some of the work that you've been talking about. When you your emphasis, right, about different. Also a big core of that in yourself, and you've talked about this on your own, right, is don't try to be like everybody else. I'm going to be happy being who I am. And there's an authenticity to that and a Absolutely. contentment in that and a power to that. And Christian, some of the things you've done, if you don't mind, would you share the story from your TEDx talk about why uh, with your daughter, the image, and a former employer, and what caused you to leave that company? Because I think this is one of the things I'm talking about. We need more of this commitment in our lives to establish the difference between what we really care about, our reputation, what our real goals are, versus this fleeting and ephemeral stuff. And you stood up for that. Yeah, you know, I I'll be glad to. I, I won't I won't do the whole thing here, but I, I uh, Chris, this will resonate with you given your uh, your, your background and experience. But I I uh, you know I was telling the the personal side, the non sort of research side of the relationship between uh, trust and, and happiness, and and that was had to do a lot with uh, time constraints, and um, and I just started uh, with a, a series of personal stories and I was trying to get to the point of when I was the happiness, happiest. Okay. And, and uh, I can give you that punchline, but what made me realize that I was wrong, I was somewhere in the wrong place. I just, I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't where I needed to be uh, happened when um, I was uh, an executive for a very, very large communication group. And, and, and Chris, you know this, Bob, you definitely know this. It's a publicist group. By the way, a great company. I mean, you got great brands, right? I mean, you talk Saatchi and Saatchi, Leo Burnett. These are really great brands, right? And, uh, and, and I got nothing against that business and nothing against that industry. But at the time, I'm an executive there. I was executive vice president and, um, and the CIO for the firm. And someone, uh, you know, not someone, my, my daughter comes into the room I'm sitting in at, uh, at home and she just, she's just small little girl and she looks me straight in the eye and she says, dad, I think I'm fat. And it was, uh, it was a very powerful uh, statement because I'm just looking at my little daughter or my, my little girl and I'm like, my God, you know, she's probably 60 pounds soaking wet. And, uh, and I, 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 I'm like, I had to get to the bottom of it. And I found out that she had seen something on television that just for whatever reason, it really kind of just struck her. And it was, Chris, as you can imagine, it was an advertisement. And it was one created by the company I worked for. And, uh, and what Bob's referring to is that, you know, my, my authentic self, the thing that I always wanted to be, took a huge blow there because I'm like, I, I'd always wanted that job. I mean, I want to be an executive vice president. I want to have a C in front of my name and my title. And then, and then I find out that I'm contributing voice, if you will, unintentionally to this 
this this course that is making not just my daughter, but a lot of people go, oh God, I just, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm less of that or whatever, all in the pursuit of selling something. And so, you know, the, the punchline is I, I quit. I quit because at that point, I wasn't living to my brand promise. Right? My, band brand, my brand promise, and that's why this, your, your point about uh, Tiger was a really good one. It, as soon as I identified that I was kind of out of sync, that there was an inconsistency, I, I had to correct it. And, uh, and it did make me happier uh, to make that move. And it was, you know, just something I, you know, again, nothing against that company or the industry. It was just something I had to do. And, and I'm, uh, I know it sounds weird and it almost sounds like false platitude. Uh, and I owe my, at that time, my, my little daughter, uh, she was 10 at the time, actually, my 10-year-old daughter, I owe her for that because she made me realize something that was right in front of my face and it took a 10-year-old to teach me. I mean, what the heck? <laughs> well, and it, it's true. When we do things that are out of alignment with who we say we are, it causes us pain and suffering. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? Because it, yeah. at the end of the day, we all have to live with ourselves at the end of the day, right? The, the, the person who brushes your teeth has to respect the person brushing your teeth in the mirror. And if they don't, you, you're, and look, you can lie to yourself all you want. You know, I always love it when somebody fucks me over in business because, um, <laughs> I want to smash them in the face. And, and as soon as I get over that, I realize, you know what, not to get overly West coasty on you, but whether you want to call it the Lord or the universe or God or karma, or I don't know what you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. The, the universe, the Lord is going to get them in a way, in a way worse way than I could ever get them, right? <laughs> because I don't care who you are, when you do something that you, if you have any kind of moral compass at all, that you know was an assholey thing and you don't make it right, you're going to get it for that thing. You just are. Chris, I just thought uh, that when those things would come up, at some point in my life, I realized... Uh, yeah, there is justice. There's, there's great cosmic justice like you're describing there because that person is going to be, that's the person going to be brushing that person's teeth for the rest of, uh, of that person's time on earth. And that, that's, that's plenty heavy punishment. Guys, I, I've been involved with a group over the last uh, few months. And one of the things that's, that's, this has kindled in me is a sense of, hourly daily gratitude just simple human gratitude just this overwhelming feeling about this and one of the things that comes up in there i know we we're kidding it lightheartedly a while ago about first world problems this sense of um avoiding the phony striving for the authentic I have had a chance to get to know some people, all right? Whatever issue, challenge, problem I thought I had, I mean, it, it is incomparably more trivial than what so many people go through every single day. And I think that's something else that I, I, I hope that every day in my life, uh, to be able to understand more fully all the things I have to be grateful for. And not just to do that, like we were saying, not in a platitude way, like, look how grateful I am, but it just, boy, does it help. 
Chris, your, your talks about people who try to study about happiness. And uh, it, it's, it's extraordinary there. And I think it's one of those things, too, that shifts that point of view away from the fleeting and the chintzy and the irrelevant and the bullshit stuff and over to the stuff that matters and this a sense of grounding. Um, so I don't know how that ties in with some of the other themes or the aspirational things we try to bring to our personal relationships, our business relationships, and some of those things in there. But I'm getting to be an old geezer, right? I'm closer to 63 now than to 62. But one of the things I've come to know here is yeah, but you're so I'm learning. Bob. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the new foundation I'm, I'm wearing. Uh, <laughs> Chris, Christian, one of the things I'm learning about this is uh, I'm, I'm learning stuff at this point in my life that was right in front of my face for a lot of years, probably a lot of decades, but I either wasn't smart enough or wise enough or what's the right thing? Ready enough to learn these things. And so this issue of lifelong learning, I used to roll my eyes and people would say that. I don't think it's about learning, you know, more formulas or this and that, but it's learning about myself and about the world around me. And Maybe one of these things we can try to talk, uh, you know, at some other point about with leadership is I think if there were some leaders, some of the businesses we've talked about specifically or more broadly, if there were more people who were more willing to understand themselves and say what they think and believe what they should believe and get out of the box that whether it's fear or uncertainty or pride or whatever these things are there's just there's no room in today's economy at the pace things are moving and the, the way that you know chicken chick and other uh, authentic forces are coming up to disrupt businesses uh, the, the pace of change here is, is striking and i think there's going to be more requirements for leaders and leadership to be different types of people, to be inspiring, to be more focused on their reputation based on what they've done, than oh, here's the brand that's prepared me for for this job or that job. I think they're they're gonna most regular people are gonna be able to sniff them out and want nothing to do with them or their companies. If there's a good thing about this new transparency, I, I but, think that's you know, a real why good Why do people thing. still buy Volkswagen products? <clears throat> Why does anybody do business with Wells Fargo when they have fucked their customers over and over again? And my current favorite, and I was just checking his name, his name is Dennis Mullenberg. And Dennis is the chief executive officer of Boeing. And he gets my fucking asshole of the year so far award. And I just look at it and go, what an amazing company Boeing is. What, what an inspiring company they are. And yet, this fucking guy with this new plane made very, very bad decisions. Instead of immediately grounding these planes and trying to get to the bottom of the problem, this asshole is literally on the phone with the president of the United States saying, nothing to see here, uh, Donnie. Just, just everything's fine. Don't, don't fuck us over with the FAA. And, and we're still, we still, we're taking orders. And I just look at it and I go, how could this guy, Dennis, not be governed by people's lives and instead be governed by uh, sales and earnings and stock price. 
And why the fuck does anybody work at Boeing anymore? If I worked at Boeing, I, 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 my ability to trust the organization would be gone. Because the minute there was an inkling that it was a widespread problem, you would expect the core values of a legendary company like Boeing to be stronger as a governor than quarterly earnings. And yet it wasn't. He did the wrong thing. And to make it even worse, the board at Boeing has not fucking fired Dennis yet. It's it's beyond stunning to me. And so I, I want to believe that that we're in this new era. But yet a lot of the results shows that you can be a lying asshole and still be and, and, and kill people and still yeah. be the chairman of Boeing. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting, uh, <clears throat> it's an interesting, uh, you know, problem and dilemma. And, and I, I hear your voice uh, well, and uh, as, a, as opposed to uh, taking any kind of defensive position, I, I would just say we, we will continue to make mistakes as individuals. That's, that's the human condition, right? And uh, I, I do it on a, on a regular basis, sadly. And, uh, and I hope I use those mistakes as an opportunity to grow and, you know, better myself. And when uh, somebody in a, in a leadership position of a large company like that makes a mistake, does it undermine the integrity and the authenticity and the quality and the character of, of tens of thousands of the workforce? Or is it just that one person that when the organization, you know, corrects itself, that it, it can kind of rise back up to that position? And, if, I, and I'm not making judgment. If he was fired I, I right now, that, that would be I'm great. Sorry, go ahead. If he was fired, that would be great. You know, um, um, the, the head of PG&E, also an asshole, I don't know if quit or got fired, but is is out, right? Th those guys are morally, in my opinion, corrupt. When you cause wildfires repeatedly that destroy people, kill people, and, you know, uh, billions of dollars in property, uh, and, and you don't take responsibility, and even worse, you declare bankruptcy to, quote, protect yourself from the lawsuits, Go fuck yourself. You owe these people money. You killed people. You destroyed entire neighborhoods. And, and you're going bankrupt so that you don't have to own up to your responsibilities. It's the opposite of trust. And so, you know, PG well, I agree with that. you get an F. Boeing, you get an F. Now, at PG&E, they fired the CEO. And are they going to transform? I don't know. They still went fucking uh, bankrupt. So I, I don't trust the people in charge now. Why aren't they doing the honorable thing? And at Boeing, listen. I get mistakes. I make mistakes too. But there's some mistakes that, sorry, you lose your job over them. And when you're the CEO of Boeing, in my opinion, and Peace. two planes have crashed and there's a reported software bug that's killing people, and rather than issuing a, a, a note to every single one of your customers, the airline saying, we recommend you ground these planes until we get our arms around this problem. Rather than doing that, you get on the fucking phone and call the president of the United States and tell him everything's fine. Don't ground our planes. You do the exact opposite. And the, the board at Boeing doesn't fire your ass. There's something wrong at Boeing. And I don't yeah, know why I, there I, is an outrage about that. Yeah, so I'm not uh, I'm not talking about the people that are making the mistakes. I was really kind of referring to the tens of thousands of people that work there. Just because the, the leadership makes a mistake, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect on the, the men and women that are trying their best to build really good planes. <laughs> that that no, was my I'm only I'm sure point. there's thousands of amazing people. Oh, yeah, going. for sure. For, there has and, they're the, and they're casualties too, right? 
Well, yeah, I would be crushed if I had spent 30 years in yeah, Boeing exactly. as an engineer and I, well, I was proud of where I worked and so forth. My company did the wrong thing because my CEO is an asshole who doesn't have any core values. And it, but it makes it worse when the board doesn't act. And so I guess this is the weird dichotomy in my head right now, which is on one hand, the three of us don't have jobs or careers unless we've built the trust that we've built over decades. And I think the value of that trust is more powerful and potent today than ever and per social media and the things that we've talked mm -hmm. about. But yet at the same time, um, listen, Apple can, a kid can find out that there's a bug in Apple that allows Putin to take over FaceTime and there's no ramification for Apple. None, zero, nada, nothing happens. Their stock price doesn't go down. Nobody, I don't know, maybe one person got fired. I have no idea, but nothing happens to Apple when there's this huge breach in their security and technology that compromises all of us as users. And nobody seems to give a fuck. Nobody seems to give a fuck about Volkswagen. Nobody seems to give a fuck about Equifax. Nobody seems to give a fuck about Wells Fargo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is the part I find weird. On one hand, I agree with you. The purpose, the value of trust is increasing. And yet at the same time, when these, or you want to talk about the Catholic Church, right? These giant institutions have these massive uh, breaches of trust and it doesn't seem to hurt them very much. In the case of Chipotle, their stock price has never been higher and they fucking kill people with their fucking terrible food. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to admit, they, uh, I've struggled with some of that too. And there's been a number of like really epic fail failures out there where you're like, oh, that's got to kill the company or that's got to kill the individual. And yet somehow they continue. And is that, um, I don't know how to explain that, uh, but I, I do know that in the case of a company, where they still, you know, as you just said, you know, their record valuation and record stock prices, you know, that's the, that's the consumers doing that, right? That's the people that, that the businesses in a B2B or the consumers that are, uh, you know, continuing to prop up those firms. And what is it that they're not seeing or not hearing or not understanding? I, I don't know what the answer is, but the, the reason why stock price would be high is because people are still buying their stuff, even if their thing blew up and, you know, uh, you know, caught fire and burned their house down or something like that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure uh, that that is the one thing I can't quite explain how trust is going down. Uh, and yet these things still happen. And I'll just offer this up and I want to hand over to you, Bob. But I think what's happening in, in the world of trust to some extent is that we're giving trust more as a reflex than as something that deliberately. And so almost like Pavlov's dog, right? You know, we get the, we, you know, we get the, the, the shiny thing and it's just the shiny, shiny thing. So we have to have it. We don't think about it now. We're not deliberate in thinking about what we trust. We just simply sort of react. And I think that that, um, that this, this behavior on our part as a society's part is actually, it's, it, it allows these companies to weather these, you know, epic failures, but it undermines us because we're so, uh, we're so not deliberate in thinking, I really, really trust you and here's why. And when you fail me, I won't turn my back on you because it's just a habit. I'm just going to keep coming to you. And so our own trust erodes because it's not actually trust. It's reflex. It's, a, it's, it's the proxy for trust. I just, I just happen to come back to you because I don't know anything else. I just happen to use your product because you're in my preferences, I, you know, whatever it is. And so our, our trust declines and so our happiness to some extent goes with it. And so I, I think it's a really good point. And I guess while I'm confused by it to some extent, I think it has a lot to do with trust being offered more as a reflex than as a sort of a genuine uh, expression of something really valuable. And uh, Bob, I think you've got probably something to add to this, please. 
Yeah, uh, Chris and Chris, and th- three quick things. One is I, I've tried to take a little more, uh, again, not that this is any big deal, but the stuff you were just talking about, Chris, there are certain brands now I'll have nothing to do with. The bank story I told earlier, like, they didn't mean to do it, but you know they sort of treat me like, if not like crap, like a stranger. So I'm not going to do business with them. I'm not going to do business with Gillette because these TV ads, they ran, you know, toss toxic masculinity that, you know, men are inherently bad. And if we just would learn to be uh, not bad, you know, everything's I okay. I, I didn't know I was bad. I'll show you some toxic yeah, yeah, masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the other um, one I love is he's creating a hostile work environment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll create yeah, a hostile work. Yeah. Yeah. We got hostile. Chris, uh, it's funny the the thing you were, when you held up the iPhone, we're talking about that too. It's so funny because over the last what three, four, five days, Apple has unleashed this blitz of television ads about the iPhone. Pri- Apple privacy, Apple privacy, privacy, privacy. We care about privacy. So, guys, I wanted to go back about half a century. This book is called The Ascent of Man, uh, probably written in the late '60s. My dear mother introduced me to that. It's a little bit of a, a personal. History of Science by this guy, Jacob Bronowski. Chapter 11 in this book, it's called Knowledge or Certainty. So again, 50 years ago, what, he opens up this chapter and he did a series of 13 videos that were shown on PBS called The Ascent of Man. And then the book correlates, each chapter uh, correlates to one of the videos that he did. And he, he's out on an island somewhere and he's got all these incredible, uh, you know, the most high-class, world-class, state-of-the-art technology. And all these things are on a beach. And there's this little old wrinkled guy wearing a suit. And he said, we've brought together the most powerful technology in the world to look at and evaluate and analyze and probe who is this man. And we are seeking perfect technological, scientific, objective evidence of who is this man. He goes through, you know, the spectrum of light from x-ray, you know, all the way through to, you know, all the different ways they could beam at this guy. And they get little images of him. But each one, as they become, the instruments get bigger and more powerful and more persuasive. Each one, the resolution or the image we get back of this man becomes fuzzier and foggier and less complete. And at the end of the episode, he brings in a blind woman and she lays her hands on this man's face and she starts talking and she said, uh, this is not a happy face. This man has suffered terribly. You know, and she goes through it and he's probably from Eastern Europe. He's about this old. You know, I would guess he's this, he's this, he's this. And she nails it perfectly. And one of the final shots in all of this is the uh, concentration camp cat concentration camp tattoo on his arm that she knew that she could tell but the greatest technology in the world couldn't couldn't understand this so again this book's 50 years old and i know stuff's different today but the fundamental point about this and the author's last lines in this in the, in this chapter we 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 have to stop being afraid to touch people we have to stop this notion that if we just put machines and technology and stuff between each of us, we'll somehow be able to connect better and understand each other. So some of the stuff we've probed today a little bit about social media, it's, you know, it's, it's not new. And this guy was hammering on this, but he's a great optimist. So as, as devastating in some ways and 
painful to watch as that, uh, uh, that chapter is or to read it is in here. It is very uplifting. Uh, and the message he gives at the end of this chapter, I'd try to describe it to you, but I'm sure I would start crying. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spare you guys that. But uh, chapter 11 called Knowledge and Certainty. Uh, in the Ascent of Man, and for all of Chris's fantastic audience, if you have a chance to take a look at this, to find the video or read that chapter, it, it's as relevant and penetrating and compelling today, I think, as it's ever been. Awesome, Bob. Hmm. The, the, uh, the Ascent of Man? Yes, Jacob Bronowski. Jacob. B-R-O-N-O-W. S-K-I. The only thing, I've read a bunch of his books. The only thing I didn't like about him is he said, I, he said, I reject this notion that there are two types of brains, one that gets arts and literature and one that gets math. He said, everybody should be able to get them both. Well, he was an anthropologist, a mathematician, a statistician, a code breaker. Uh, you know, he helped design rockets. <laughs> he he yeah. was buddies with, you know, Enrico Fermi and Niels Bohr and Einstein and all this. And he was a poet and, uh, you know, a, a tremendous writer. So uh, I wish he had a little more pity for us, our regular mortals. Other than that, I love the guy. <laughs> so, Christian, where do you think, where do you come out on this whole trust discussion? Where do you, where do you land? What's your general uh, sort of thesis? So, you know, <clears throat> if I kind of get to the, you know, the punchline of, you know, that, that, uh, that presentation we were talking about briefly, I realized, and, and what was the genesis of that, um, uh, that, that talk was that I, I was the happiest out of all, this, all of all the things that I've been able to do. And I've been very fortunate. I've been blessed in life in so many ways. The time that I was at my happiest wasn't when I was in a corner office with all the possessions and, uh, you know, sort of all the trappings of what, uh, those things that we've been led to believe that'll make you happy. I was the happiest when I had very, very little, when I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. And I was the happiest when I served as a United States Marine. And the reason why those were my happiest days, it wasn't because it was always pleasurable. <laughs> it often wasn't. It wasn't because it was stress-free. It almost never was. It was because I was with a group of men and women that explicitly and implicitly trusted one another. We were united in purpose. We were united in, 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 in tradition. We were united in beliefs. We were very different people. But there was not a time that we ever thought that we could be successful without being successful together. And there was never, ever a doubt that if one of us fell, that the other ones wouldn't pick them up. And that drove more happiness than I've ever experienced any other time in my life because I always knew... I had an obligation and I was being policed to that obligation, which was to support my brothers and sisters. And I always knew those brothers and sisters were always going to be there for me as well. And if you, if you haven't been in that environment and, and by the way, you don't have to be in the military to be in that environment. It helps <laughs> for sure. But there's some like, you know, really elite sports teams and there are other groups and, and small, small groups of people that sometimes have um, aspects of this, this, but when you do have it and you're in that warm embrace of a brother and sisterhood, there is no substitute for that. And so, you know, my journey has been, uh, and my realization has been, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the uniform, it wasn't the service, it wasn't the hardship, it wasn't that I was a, an adrenaline junkie. And maybe some of those things actually are a little bit true. 
but it was this, it was this camaraderie. It was the spree. It was the simplicity and explicit trust. That was what made me the happiness, the happiest. And, and I realized over my life, uh, that the things that I do, the way I lead my teams, the way I, um, uh, you know, work with, uh, you know, uh, people in general, Project Relo, it's all about recreating those environments and just giving a chance for other people to have some of those ex- same experiences because it does two things, gentlemen. It, you know, it, it, it helps people understand what trusting one another can do. And then very selfishly, because I do believe there's very, very few, if any, unselfish acts, it makes me happy. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, that might be a great note to land on. Anything else either of you want to touch on before we uh, kick out of this one? Chris, I'll tell a real quick story. It's tied to the United States Marine Corps and my dear mother. And so she's 94, 95, but a year before she died, we were, I was up visiting with her. We were having a wonderful conversation. And she said to me, she said, you don't seem to dwell a lot on the past or you don't seem to tramp over some things, you know, in the past too much. And I said, no, I don't. I said, I, I try to learn from my mistakes because God knows I've made enough of them, but I don't dwell on that. And she said, so no regrets. I said, well, I have one regret. And I said, I wish when I got out of high school, I wish I had enlisted in the Marine Corps. I said, I don't know if I could have cut it. I don't know if I would have made it, but I wish I had tried that. And she reached over and patted my hand. And uh, I think it was the next night, maybe the same night, but the next night, my sister calls me and she's in sort of a giddy mood and chit-chat a little and she says, I had a really interesting phone call from your mother. And my sister says, your mom called and she wanted to know, Mary Rita, what can you do to get Bob into the Marine Corps? Because that's the one thing he's missing in his life. <laughs> I just thought that was very sweet. I thought that was How very old sweet. were you at the time? <laughs> well, uh, about three times older than the other uh, people at Paris Island would have been if I was dumb enough to try to <laughs> go be one of them. But I just that's thought awesome. that was very sweet. Awesome. God bless mothers. God bless them. <laughs> Amen. All right. Anything else, boys? Uh, just great to talk to you, gentlemen. It's uh, it's nice to connect. And just uh, this has been random and a, a circuitous uh, conversation. And yet, you know, at least from my perspective, 100% enjoyable. So thank you both for that. And I'm just thinking, hey, we should do this again. So I hope you guys will come back and do this again with me. Who could say no to that? Awesome. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. No, no, Chris. I, yeah, what a it'd be a great honor. You two are fantastic. Two of my favorite people, and uh, uh, yeah, I hope I wasn't too weird and uh, mushy. I, I think <laughs> the fact that you're this big, successful, tough guy who's just this giant heart is just such a fascinating uh, uh, yin and yang. So, no, I think you're awesome, Bob. Ah, <laughs> uh, shucks. And Chris, you're not you so for- bad yourself. Thank you, handsome. And thank you for being the impetus for this conversation. It's a great excuse to talk to you and to see you, and you look great, and I, I really appreciate you uh, investing this time. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, there they are, Bob and Christian. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And, and even more importantly, I hope it spurs some thinking and some conversation in your life um, as to where we are with trust and what we can all do to uh, improve trust in our world. 
Now, my friends at NetSuite want to help you improve your world by helping you grow by staying on top of your numbers. NetSuite is the number one company in cloud ERP. And um, this is really the platform that allows you to gain visibility and control over your business, particularly as your business grows. NetSuite provides one unified business management suite encompassing all areas of your business, from ERP and financials to CRM and e-commerce and more. NetSuite is designed to help you scale from maybe just a few folks an idea and an idea to becoming a global enterprise. Matter of fact, NetSuite works across pretty much every business type you can think of. B2B, B2C, B2B2C, B2XYZ, and DOG. (laughs) And they work in pretty much every part of the world, helping you do uh, multi-country, different divisions, uh, different business units, different currencies, and different languages. NetSuite is the scalable infrastructure that you need to capitalize on new business opportunities and reach new global markets. And by deploying one single cloud system, you can manage your entire business and streamline operations. Now, as a regular listener to this podcast, uh, my friends at NetSuite are offering you an opportunity to spend an hour with an expert in your industry doing a free growth review. So visit netsuite.com slash different today netsuite.com slash different and they'll set you up for your growth review Uh, also if you want to get a hold of us you can send email to blackhole all one word at lockhead l-o-c-h-h-e-a-d.com and uh, visit our website lockhead.com even if you subscribe to this podcast on one of the major players we don't know you're there unless you come to lockhead.com and subscribe and what i'll tell you is Uh, Number one, we're never going to sell your name to anybody. More importantly, we've been working our heinies off to create um, really awesome content, much of it based on learnings we're getting from from the podcast. Um, And so I can also promise you that anything we email you, we think is pretty great. We're not going to email you just some junk. All right. We would like to thank... The amazing Christian Anschutz and Bob Evans for joining us on today's episode. The amazing folks at Project Relo. This is Christian's nonprofit, Project R-E-L-O dot O-R-G. This organization is helping build better businesses by connecting executives with veteran talent doing these cool experiences so that you can A, have a bunch of fun, B, learn a lot and connect executives with veteran talent because uh, veterans make some of the most amazing employees. Also, Cloud Wars Live Podcast. This is Bob Evans' podcast, a podcast I am stoked to be a regular guest on. Check it out wherever you consume legendary uh, podcasts. Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different, the number one Amazon bestseller by Heather Clancy and myself. Check it out. My dear friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org. Uh, go to one, the number one, LifeFullyLive.org slash C Lockhead to learn more about our upcoming conference this October 2019 in beautiful Long Beach, California. I'd love to see you there. My friends at uh, Bottleneck Virtual Assistants want to help you scale yourself and your business. Why not leverage the power of a virtual assistant? Go to bottleneck.online today. And if you're in the Silicon Valley area and you're in the B2B business, then you know 
that one of the most important assets your company has is your website because it is often the first thing people see or hear about your company. And my friends at Atranet build legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley. Check out atre.net today. And my friends at the frontrowfoundation.org. The Front Row Foundation, founded by John Vroman, is an organization committed to helping people at the end of their life or facing a life-threatening condition to help them with an amazing experience. Give them an experience uh, that will help transform their life. And I'll tell you, having been part of this, uh, when you can make a difference for somebody facing that kind of a challenge, it's a life-changing experience, not just for them, but for you too. So check out the thefrontrowfoundation.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and uh, all rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that clearly this podcast was recorded in a studio that does contain nuts. It is produced by the nicest man in podcasting, the legendary Jamie J, and edited by Mike D and Sarah Parrish. Remember to uh, teach entrepreneurship in the event of a water landing. This podcast can be used as a, flo- as a flotation device. Remember only to fart in an elevator with three or more people in it. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Please remember that in many states in the United States of America, it is actually illegal to drive slowly in the left-hand lane. Yes, Prius drivers, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Listen to Blue Rodeo. Remember, if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to Doug Parker, CEO of American Airlines. Sorry, Dougie, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. It really means the world to me and everybody involved with uh, the creation of this oddcast. Uh, until we're together again, stay legendary, and of course, follow your difference.